Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionists and dietitians from Nutritional Weight and Wellness. We explain the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned for practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through real food nutrition. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. This show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, and I'm not going to beat around the bush this morning at all. I'm just going to tell you right off what our topic is, because I know it's a topic that will resonate with many of you. Our topic today is how the gallbladder impacts digestion. I'm Cassie Wienis. I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. Our longtime listeners know my backstory, which is that my big focus in life right now is being a mom to my two middle schoolers who only have two days of school left. Can you believe that? I can't believe it's June. June 1st. Crazy. So that's where my big focus is. A lot of you know that both of my kids have multiple food allergies. And so just cooking for them and and staying on top of all of their social activities and sleepovers and birthday parties and extracurricular activities keeps me on the go. I do also really enjoy teaching a variety of different nutrition classes to businesses and community groups throughout the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And I do that on behalf of Nutritional Weight and Wellness. And in studio with me today, I have as my co-host, Cara Carper, who is also a mom, and she's also a licensed nutritionist with a master's degree in holistic health. And I'm going to turn the radio over to her in a minute to um, tell you a little bit about her, but... I'm just so excited to be in studio with you today because it's been a really long time. It's been a while. I think I saw you at the nutrition conference. So yeah, good to be here and good morning to all of our wonderful listeners. And like Cassie said, we have a topic of interest today on how the gallbladder impacts digestion. You know, gallbladder problems are one of the most common digestive diseases in the United States. About a million cases are diagnosed every year. Billions of dollars are spent on gallbladder treatment. Today, we want to explore some possible symptoms of having a gallbladder problem. Well, you know, we'll spend a brief amount of time on the symptoms because what we really want to focus the majority of our time on is what food and what supplements are really going to help people with their digestion after they've needed to get their gallbladder removed. Because let's be honest, we hear that all the time. In yes. fact, I have several family members, I have some friends, even some colleagues, you know, who have had their gallbladder removed. So, um, and a lot of people are struggling. So we really want to focus on what those people can do. And I think this is the first time we've really focused on this aspect of it. Like, okay, you've, now you've had it removed. We can't mm-hmm. put it back in. Now what? So, and I know many of you listening have had your gallbladder removed. And if you have, you might remember your doctor telling you, oh, you don't really need that gallbladder anyway, let's just take it out. I've heard that story so many times, and I can't say that I agree with that statement. Our gallbladder does have a purpose. I think maybe what the doctor is trying to say is, you won't die if I take your Mm -hmm. gallbladder out. And I will say, I have met people who don't seem to have any digestive issues after they have their gallbladder removed, but... I've met many more people that have a lot of problems after that gallbladder is gone. Some people have more problems 
after it's gone than they had before the surgery. And as dietitians and nutritionists at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we specialize in helping people who are experiencing digestive issues for all kinds of different reasons. And when it comes to the gallbladder, we usually are quite successful in helping people after that gallbladder removal surgery. Of course, we prefer that people keep it if they can, but oftentimes they don't find nutritional weight and wellness until after They've had the surgery, and so then that's what we have to address. That's right. That's right. So we will we will certainly spend some time giving tips on the prevention of needing to have your gallbladder removed. But so we're going to cover you know a few different aspects of this today. But let's first talk about some of the symptoms that people experience when having what we call a gallbladder attack. Oftentimes, people will have nausea, vomiting, gas, burping or belching. And the pain can be very excruciating. The pain can often last for anywhere from 15 minutes up to 24 hours. And this pain is typically in the right side of the chest, just below the rib cage. It can go into the shoulder blade, also into the back. Usually by this point, when someone's having this excruciating pain called a gallbladder attack, surgery really might be needed. And if you or your family have had an attack, You really know what we're talking about with this agonizing pain. Yes, I can only imagine having had kidney stones. I can imagine it's it's on that same level. Sounds similar. Yeah, Yeah. really, really excruciating. You know, I mentioned just a minute ago that I I firmly believe that that gallbladder has a reason. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does the gallbladder actually do? Well, the primary function of the gallbladder is to store bile. So you've probably heard that word before. Our liver makes bile. Bile is needed for digesting fats mostly, but we also use bile to digest protein in part. Now, the digestion takes place in the small intestines. But let's back up. Our gallbladder, excuse me, our liver, start with the liver. The liver makes the bile. The bile then gets transported to the gallbladder. The gallbladder is sort of like a storage tank for the bile. And then when we eat, especially if we eat a high-fat, high-protein meal, then the gallbladder is responsible for secreting just the right amount into our small intestine, just the right amount of bile, in order to break down and digest that particular meal. So what you're saying, Cassie, is if somebody has a meal with fat and some protein, mostly the... You know, Mostly the the fat. The fat. I'm thinking but, of my brother sent home some ribeye steaks from the ranch when we were home. Great example. Um, and and I grilled those up. Yeah, because that's a fatty meat, so you get a little yep. bit of both. You need a lot of bile. So depending on the amount of fat and the protein that someone is ingesting, then the liver is going to be secreting this bile. It goes into the storage tank, the gallbladder, and then that's kind of trickled in according to how much is needed based on how much fat and protein was eaten. Exactly. So, you know, your gallbladder is is pretty precise in spitting out just the right amount. Just the right amount based on what we ate. So when the gallbladder is removed, there's no no more, oh, excuse me, storage (laughs) tank. But the liver is still going to be making bile for digestion. However, because there's no storage tank, there's really just a slow, constant drip of the bile into the small intestines. There's no longer a controller. There's no longer a regulator of the amount of bile that's needed for each meal based on what we ate. So 
that may be what is causing digestive problems after the gallbladder removal, depending on what the person's eating. Right, because now think about eating a ribeye steak and you just have this really slow drip, like you said, coming straight from the liver. Yeah, when really you're you're going to need more bile for a meal like that. Right. The small trickle is not enough. So if you if somebody has that meal with more fat and more protein, that slow drip likely will not be able to break down that fat and protein. And there could be symptoms like we had just talked about gas, bloating, diarrhea. Loose stool is very common. There may be some heartburn as well. Right, right. So hopefully listeners are connecting the dots. Is is this happening to you? And I want to talk a little bit about who is more prone to have gallbladder issues. Unfortunately for you and I, Cara, women are more at risk of having gallbladder problems. And when we look at that segment of the population in particular, meaning women, during pregnancy and during menopause, gallbladder problems seem to happen more often. So think about what that tells us. That would tell us that hormones play an important role in the development of gallbladder issues. And that may help you understand why this can happen to women. When women are pregnant, there's a decrease in stomach acid, which is really interesting. So a lot of pregnant women tend to experience digestive disorders. And so to get rid of the symptoms, they may be prescribed acid-reducing medication or purchase it over-the-counter. And it's that combination of the acid blockers along with that high estrogen during pregnancy that can increase the likeliness of gallbladder problems. And so I think after break, maybe we could touch a little bit more on why people need hydrochloric acid and acid blockers are kind of doing the opposite. Yes, great point. Let's do that when we get back from break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. This show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Before we head off to break, I just want to let all of you know that we've been presenting this nutrition education show for the past 15 years. Boy, do I sound old when I say time flies. Now, I've had the privilege of being a co-host on this program, Dishing Up Nutrition, for 12 of those years. And I'm pretty proud to say that every week we try our best to present life-changing nutrition information. And we really try to do it in a way that is practical and that is easy for everybody to understand. And with that, I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening. And I do hope that you pass on the information that we share with you on this program to your family, to your friends, to your coworker. If the information we share can help out someone you know, please encourage them to listen to that podcast. It's so easy. They can either listen online at weightandwellness.com or they can listen on their smartphone through iTunes or by downloading the free Dishing Up Nutrition app. I mean, think about it. You could help change someone's life for the better just by hooking them up with one of our podcasts that you know will really speak to them. And stay with us. We'll be right back after this commercial break. When my family starts with, what's for dinner, what's for dinner, sometimes I feel the answer is a plate of desperation with a big side of stress. With no plan, it's too easy to hit the drive-thru or the deli for a meal that's overpriced and overprocessed. But now there's an answer to the daily dining dilemma, the Weight and Wellness Way Cookbook and Nutrition Guide. 
Because it's a cookbook, it's got recipes sure to become family favorites. Because it's a nutrition guide, it explains how to eat for good health. You'll feel good, too, eating real food that tastes delicious. The nutrition educators at Nutritional Weight and Wellness have helped thousands of people use nutrition science to feel their best. And now you can find their wisdom summed up in one book. Then the next time they start with, what's to eat? You can say, wild rice meatballs, or easy almond chicken, or an egg bake for brunch. Real food and real nutrition will make it real easy with the Weight and Wellness Cookbook and Nutrition Guide. Get your copy for $24.95 at any Nutritional Weight and Wellness location or online at weightandwellness.com. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. My name is Kara Carper. I'm here with Cassie Weenus today. And Cassie is a reg- registered dietitian. I'm a licensed nutritionist and certified nutrition specialist. And Cassie shared how long she's been co-hosting the show. And we were just chatting. And um, I've been co-hosting the show for 12 years, which I didn't realize it had been that long. One of the goals that we have for the Dishing Up Nutrition radio show and our podcast, we really want to deliver quality, well-researched information. Another goal, of course, is to hopefully inspire you listeners to eat better, which is going to help you to feel better. So if you're reaching for a slice of pizza, you know, I don't know if people know how much sugar is actually in pizza with the combination of bad fats. We all want you to be thinking about dishing up nutrition. So you might just pull back your hand and say, oh, those those gals at Nutritional Weight and Wellness told me that pizza has sugar and bad fats. It's not a health food. I am able to make a better choice. Right, we want we want us to be in your head. Yep, during we're, those times, we're your conscience. <laughs> we're your conscience in your head. And I know, I mean, there are times for me when I get tempted, but I think, no, who am I? I work at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. That's not a good food for me, and it's become such a a good habit for me. I don't know about you, Cara, but pizza, ice cream, those types of things. If I get a little urge, then I think, okay, a moment on my lips, mm-hmm. it's going to taste good, and then I'm going to feel like crap. Which is the truth. If I spike my blood sugar and then it falls, I I feel yeah. awful. So right. it's I mean, not it, worth it. For some people, it might be about the weight. For yes. some, for a lot of people, it's about how you feel mm-hmm. after you eat food like that. I would need to take a nap if I ate right. a couple slices Me of pizza because my blood. Sh- I mean, and I am not even exaggerating. And and I don't have time for a nap, unfortunately. So, <laughs> so before we went to break, we were talking about people that are more prone to getting or to having gallbladder problems. Um, I want to mention one that came to mind as we were at break, and that is people with low thyroid function. So maybe you've been told you have low thyroid function, or maybe they've even said hypothyroid. Um, some people have a particular type of hypothyroid called Hashimoto's disease. All of these can contribute to a slower functioning of your gallbladder. And then when you think about it, it's sort of like the bile stagnates in the gallbladder because it's not working as efficiently as it should. And so you kind of get this thick, sludgy bile and that can sit in your gallbladder and eventually gallstones can form. You know, so again, think about is your thyroid at the root cause Mm -hmm. of of your problems here, some some common body signs of low thyroid would be hair loss. And you reminded me, Cara, in the break room before we went on air, losing the outer third of your eyebrow, which goes along with hair mm-hmm. loss on your head, sort of. 
Um, that can be a sure sign of low thyroid for many people. Fatigue, being cold, especially if the extremities like your hands and your feet are cold, those are all signs of low thyroid function. And that could in turn be causing your gallbladder issues, which cause digestive problems. It's all sure. It's all connected. And I really encourage any of you listening that think your thyroid might be contributing to your gallbladder problems. Go back to our past podcasts and listen to the August 27th, 2018 show. We had a special guest on that was Anne Louise Gittleman. And the title of that show was Radical Metabolism. But she really talks more in depth about this connection with the thyroid and the gallbladder and then how that can contribute to unwanted weight gain as well. I'm glad you brought that up because we can only give so much time today on the thyroid gallbladder connection. And so if somebody's suspecting that, they can get a lot more information from just listening to that wonderful podcast. That was a fascinating show. So thank you for bringing that up. You are welcome. So in addition to, you know, thyroid, low thyroid, hypothyroidism being connected to gallbladder issues, We had touched on another reason for gallbladder problems is that low stomach acid. And I had mentioned that because when pregnant, you know, when women are pregnant, they really tend to have decreased stomach acid. And a lot of them will go on the acid blockers, which is not the answer almost all of the time (laughs) Uh, because we really do need stomach acid. So there are so many people who are taking these acid reducing medications not realizing that the gallbladder actually needs hydrochloric acid to function and it needs it to function well. So with these acid reducing medications, and maybe we could just list off a couple. I know there's yes. like Prevacid, Prilosec, Nexium, Zantac. Most I mean, are is... over the counter these days. Yes. Um, yep. And so these acid reducing medications, obviously they reduce or block the acid production. And again, if the gallbladder needs this hydrochloric acid to function, this is going to put somebody at risk for getting gallstones. Right. I mean, I just don't get me on my soapbox about those acid reducing medications because Riley was put on those very, very young before I figured out his, that's my son, before Mm -hmm. I figured out his celiac disease. Um, So I've done quite a bit of research on acid Blockers like Prilosec and Preva said so many bad side effects when you use them long term. Like you mentioned one, which could be gallstones, Mm -hmm. but they can also cause osteoporosis used long term. They can cause memory loss. They can cause, um, oh, I'm trying to think of some of the other top ones, but those are some biggies right there. Sure, Gallstones, osteoporosis, B12 deficiency. So really, if you are taking an acid blocker long term, I think what Cara and I are trying to say here is get to the bottom of that problem because that will help you stave off gallstones, hopefully. But also, you know, your body's trying to tell you something mm-hmm. if you're having heartburn and, and it's not trying to tell you that you're low in Prilosec. Something else is going yeah. on. It's often, you know, a food that someone's eating that they're sensitive to. Very often. And so getting to that root cause is really important. Yeah. Or else other things are going to start to go wrong as well. Yeah. Okay. Back to our question. What else can cause gallstones or what can cause an inflamed gallbladder? Well, here's another one. Studies have found that food sensitivities for some people are directly related 
to gallstones and to gallbladder inflammation. One example that I think we don't talk about enough is eggs. Eggs are actually one of the most common food sensitivities or food allergies, especially when we look at people with gallbladder issues. In fact, I was reading a study getting ready for this show that said 95%, 95% of gallbladder sufferers who eat eggs will have a negative reaction to them. That is so, so interesting. It is. because I know we don't talk a lot about egg sensitivities. No, because we're always saying how good eggs yeah. are and how healthy they are. And if you don't have a sensitivity to them, they are. But again, they are a highly allergenic food for a lot of people. Another uh, category would be dairy. A lot of people have a dairy sensitivity or a dairy allergy. So that's things like cow's milk and ice cream and cheese. And then, of course, the grains. And we talk about that quite a bit, how um, gluten grains, especially the wheat, the barley, the rye, most oats, those grains can really inflame the bladder, uh, the gallbladder, excuse me. They could inflame the bladder, too. That's <laughs> they could a, probably inflame show. any organ. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I on that note, I want to share some words of wisdom from my cousin back in North Dakota who had her gallbladder removed years ago before she discovered nutritional weight and wellness. But I can see it's about time to go to commercial, so stay with us because I'll share those words of wisdom on the other side of break. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. I have just a little food for thought here before we go to commercial. I want to share a pretty attention-grabbing statement that I recently read, and it goes like this. We spend hundreds of billions, that's with a B, hundreds of billions of dollars a year in this country on disease care and virtually nothing on prevention from illness or disease. Now, I also want you to think about this. How much attention do pet owners pay to nutrition for their dog or maybe for their cat? Or how much attention do farmers pay to nutrition for their livestock. Having grown up on a ranch in North Dakota, I know how much time and money was spent on quality food for the cattle. Now, in comparison, how much attention is being given to the nutrition of our kids? With the rise of ADHD and asthma and diabetes and cancer, heart disease and obesity, I really think now is the time to learn as much about nutrition as we possibly can. And even for me as a registered dietitian, I'm learning something new every week. And if you want to learn something new or several somethings, join us for some of our weight and wellness classes. You'll learn more about nutrition and you'll become a part of a nutrition community. And in just a couple minutes, when we get back from this break, Cara will share information about some of these upcoming classes. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Starting the week of June 3rd, we're going to be offering our Nutrition for Weight Loss series at all seven of our locations. Now, I'd like to read a few comments from a client who took this series last fall. One of the questions we always ask our participants is, why did you choose the Nutrition for Weight Loss program? And her answer was, it was because of the education of the how and the why of the food and how it works with our body. I was able to eat my own food instead of needing to buy prepackaged food that other weight loss programs provided. 
and the Dishing Up Nutrition podcasts were a big influence too. So after completing the 12-week series, she said, my joints don't ache, my energy level is up, I don't get tired during the day, and as a bonus, I lost 10 pounds. I recommended this program to all my friends. So that was her testimonial after taking the series. That's pretty amazing. That's a lot of benefits. That is, but that's so common it when is. people get done with that series, it that really they have better is. energy, that their joints don't ache. I mean, that is all so common. I I love it. That's why I love to work here because the results are amazing. Now, before we went to break, I was saying that I wanted to share some words of wisdom with you from my cousin back in North Dakota. She had her gallbladder removed years before she discovered the power of eating the nutritional weight and wellness way. So I reached out to my cousin Patty in preparing for the show. And I have to say the very first thing she said was, I would definitely recommend to all of your listeners not to have their gallbladder removed. But we do know that some people, many people listening, have already had that organ removed. And so what do we do now? So I want to share with you that my cousin Patty, and I think this is common with many people, said that in hindsight, it wasn't really her gallbladder that was the problem. It was all of the gluten and the processed carbs. So processed carbs are things like bread and pasta, bagels and chips It was those things and the gluten that she was eating. These were causing inflammation for her in her gallbladder. So what I want to say to the listeners is if you are listening and you're having gallbladder-like symptoms, the nausea, the indigestion, maybe even diarrhea, first stop and think, when are these symptoms flaring the most? Is it after eating pizza? Or maybe it's after you stop at the coffee shop and order that big blueberry muffin to go with your cup of caffeine. The pizza, the muffins, the pasta, the bread, these are all processed carbs and they're all sources of gluten. And you might be like my cousin and be inflaming your gallbladder with these food choices. So it really sounds like those foods that she didn't know she was sensitive to were creating all these digestive issues. Yes. And the doctor was, I think, sort of at his wits end and said, I'm Let's not try sure removing what's the gallbladder. Wrong. Let's try taking yeah. the gallbladder out. We we have heard that sim- a similar story before from others too. Yes, and sometimes it surprises people to learn that it is the processed foods that are high in sugar or flour and bad fats, and a lot of foods have that combination. But those types of foods really are the biggest cause in the rise that we're seeing in gallbladder issues. Isolated cultures or cultures who don't have like this Western or modern civilization and they don't have processed foods in their diet, they don't have gallbladder problems. It's a very, I call it like a westernized disease. Right. A lot of cultures don't even know what a gallbladder attack would be. From my own clinical experience, I have found that when I had clients remove bad fats, such as trans fats or refined oils from their diets, their gallbladder function improved. And at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we really believe that the removal of sugar, flour, and those refined oils is critical for healing the gallbladder, or actually for healing the whole body, but we're talking about gallbladder today. Um, And I just want to touch on when we say refined oils, Cassie, the oils that we're talking about, you know this. There are four biggies, aren't (laughs) there? There's soybean, corn, cottonseed, and canola. And I actually, I would throw sunflower in there as well. 
as a refined oil. Yes. Yes. And they're, I mean, go to your kitchen cabinets. They are in so many products. Yes. Kind of the vegetable oil would also be a refined oil. Right. Right. And these are inflammatory for the gallbladder. So if you still have your gallbladder and you're having digestive issues, get these bad oils out now and see if that doesn't really calm down that inflammation. But now I think we need to move on and talk about what should you eat after you've already had your gallbladder removed? Because like I said, we, we can't put it back in you anymore. So if you're sitting listening and you don't have a gallbladder, what can you do so that you don't have the diarrhea and the bloating, the nausea? Some people have constipation. Well, I think the first food group to really examine carefully is what we have just been talking about, and that's fats. I think a lot of times after gallbladder removal surgery, people are told to eat low fat. And I get the science there of what the doctor is saying, but we know that fats are so critical to so many different aspects of your health. So you don't want to cut out fats, but you want to stop eating the refined damaged fats, those ones that we just mentioned, cottonseed oil, corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil. And, you know, they're ubiquitous here in America. What are some of the foods that come to top of mind, Cara, that have these bad fats? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind would be something like French fries or the equivalent of French fries. Anything that's deep fat fried from mostly from restaurants and fast food places. But even some of those freezer foods, you know, people might think that it's healthier to go to the frozen aisle and buy frozen French fries. But you have to be looking at ingredients and looking what oil is being used to fry those. And it usually is going to be canola, soybean, or corn. And those really fall under the category of damaged refined oils. They're really hard to digest. And when the oil is heated over and over throughout the day, like in the fast food environment, um, it's actually a, a, a rancid, like an oxidized type product. So for most people, something like French fries are just going to be very difficult to digest and break down and almost impossible to digest if you don't have a gallbladder. So I would say any, when you said what food comes to mind, any deep fried food that's being fried in a bad oil. Yes, and and they are found very frequently at our restaurants, aren't they? Now, if any of you listening are really sad, maybe shedding a tear because Cara is saying you can't have French fries anymore, I just want to give out a quick and healthy way to get a French fry fix. Buy those little fingerling potatoes, um, you know, those little long, skinny potatoes. Thinly slice them up, and you can toss them in either a little avocado oil, or I like to toss them in coconut oil. And then I like to put salt and pepper on there. Bake those at 350 degrees for about 20 minutes until they get crispy. They're, you know, they're easy to digest because they have the healthy fat, but they have that crispness and they are really tasty. And we have found from clinical experience, Cassie, you and I both have, that people cannot digest these refined oils when they don't have a gallbladder, but... There are healthy fats that are much easier to digest, and those are healing fats such as coconut oil, olive oil, avocado oil, and even something like ghee, or it's spelled G-H-E-E. It's sort of like a clarified butter. Those can be used and not create digestive distress. 
And we want you to eat healthy fats. We need those for good brain health, good skin health, so many aspects of our health. But just get out the bad fats. You know, thinking of, so what foods can cause that digestive distress, especially after the gallbladder has been removed? Something that comes to my mind are those big commercial muffins. You know the kind. I mean, they're at the restaurant. They're certainly in the bakery. They're even, if you go in to pay for gas, they're always sitting right there where you have to look at them. They're tempting. <laughs> and I mean, they, they, yeah. call, they call your name. You know, I, I heard it said once, and I know this is true, that since the inception of the muffin, it has tripled in size here in America. So what that tells us is it is way too much sugar. If it's tripled in size and we know it's made with flour, it's turning to too much sugar. Plus, it's made with bad oils. I guarantee you, if you're buying a muffin and not baking it yourself, it has either soybean oil or cottonseed oil or maybe both. So it's no wonder that a lot of people have heartburn and indigestion after eating these boughten muffins. And I cannot believe we already have to go to our no, final show break. The show is going fast today. It is flying by. If you've just recently tuned in, I'm Cassie. I'm in studio with Kara, my co-host. And we're here on Dishing Up Nutrition, talking about how your gallbladder affects digestion. With that, I'm going to go off on sort of a complete tangent before we head to commercial and share with you a random question That we so often get from our female clients. That question is, why am I suddenly getting a bunch of facial hair? Some of you are laughing, but some of you are really relating. So if this is you, what can you do? Well, let me tell you some possible reasons why those black hairs are suddenly sprouting on your your chin or that mustache area. For some people, it's because they're eating way too much sugar and too many processed carbs, the breads, the bagels, the cookies. All of that sugar wreaks havoc on our hormones. For some of you, it might be drinking too much coffee. For some people, it's too much stress. And stress over time will stimulate your adrenal glands so they produce too much cortisol. This not only can lead to that unwanted facial hair, but it can also lead to unwanted weight gain. So if you're struggling with this ugly facial hair that's suddenly sprouting up, and maybe you're struggling with your weight too, believe it or not, we can remedy both of those problems through our Nutrition for Weight Loss program. Our Nutrition for Weight Loss program teaches you how to control your sugar cravings. It will teach you how to eat to manage your stress. It will help you lose weight. If it's time for you to make a change, call our office at 651-699-3438. Inquire about our Nutrition for Weight Loss program. And stay with us. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. We hope today's show has helped you to understand how your gallbladder impacts your digestion. And next week, you're not going to want to miss Dar and Marcy as they interview Dr. Kyra as she discusses her new book, Well-Designed Life. And the goal of her book is to help people look at their individual lives right now and design a life that they want in the future. Many years ago, I looked at my own life and designed my attrition to support my health. And this will be a, a really great show. So just be sure to tune in. If you can tune in live, it'll be even better, but you can always listen to the podcast. And you're going to hear some really new thoughts about living a well-designed life. It sounds like a great show. 
Sounds like a great book. There are just too many books and not enough years in my life to read them. You gotta do the audio versions. (laughs) Yes, there you go. So back to our topic of gallbladder. So what what we were talking about before break is what do people do when they needed to have their gallbladder removed and and now they're experiencing diarrhea, constipation, nausea, heartburn, heartburn, gas, and bloating. In working with clients that do not have a gallbladder, we have found that most people are able to digest about one to three teaspoons of healthy fat. I think we need to say that again because that's lower than what we often recommend. But this yes. is if you do not have a gallbladder. This is very specific to not having a gallbladder. And for all the reasons that we said about just bile production is not regulated as well with no gallbladder. We need to just decrease the healthy fat. We still, it's very, very important that it's a healthy fat though. One to three teaspoons at a meal or a snack. So just basically in one sitting. And those natural healthy fats again are olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, butter, ghee, clarified butter. And we really do need the healthy fat to make up our cell membranes our body needs fat to hydrate our tissues. Of course, we need it for our brain. So we just have to be careful with the amount. The amount and choosing the right fat. Yeah. And longtime listeners know that we will always suggest eating vegetables, gallbladder or no gallbladder, eating vegetables in place of the pasta, the bread, the crackers. And, you know, here's a really interesting fact that I want you to think about. Our liver needs vitamin C to convert cholesterol into bile. So we need vitamin C to make bile, and we need that bile to digest our fats. Guess where you find a lot of vitamin C? In vegetables, things like bell peppers and broccoli and uh, you know tomato, even though maybe some people call that a fruit. Those are all great sources of vitamin C. So eat your vegetables so you get plenty of vitamin C, So you can turn that cholesterol into bile. Right. And now, Cassie, you know, some people that have had their gallbladder removed may experience symptoms. Um, Unfortunately, others may experience ongoing symptoms. And it's important to make an appointment with a dietitian or nutritionist to really just get all the pieces in place because everybody's solution is a little bit different. We are all unique you know, certainly Cara and I, as nutritionists and dietitians here in the studio, we know that certain foods and certain supplements help to increase bile production and increase that flow of bile. And, you know, I should point out, too, that a lot of people, myself included, need to include certain foods and certain supplements to help with digestion, even though we haven't had our gallbladder removed. So, The information we want to give you now about certain supplements is really helpful for people without a gallbladder, but it can also be helpful for people that just have Mm -hmm. digestive issues, even though they still have a gallbladder. The first recommendation is a supplement that increases hydrochloric acid. Remember, we mentioned how you need enough hydrochloric acid in order for your body to produce and secrete bile. So this product is called OrthoDigestzyme. A lot of our clients take either one or two capsules of orthodigestzyme before each meal. So before breakfast, before lunch, and before dinner. This contains a little bit of hydrochloric acid as well as it has some enzymes in it. 
Now, for some people, though, and we were talking about this during the break, Cara, that's not enough hydrochloric acid. So if you try the orthodigest zyme and it's not doing the trick, you might need more hydrochloric acid. And in that case, we would suggest a product called Spectrazyme. This has a lot more hydrochloric acid per tablet, and it also has a little pepsin, which is an enzyme that helps break down protein. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, so both of those supplements are really helping the body to break down and digest fats and protein. Right. So it's almost like taking on some of the responsibility of what the gallbladder normally would be doing with that production of bile. Replacing what's lost. Yes. Now, I know many of our nutrition experts also recommend an amino acid called taurine. Now, taurine helps bile excrete chemicals detoxed by the liver. And we have a supplement available at Nutritional Weight and Wellness called Pure Taurine. So that actually helps to increase bile production. And it helps as well to thin the bile so it's not all sludgy like you were talking about earlier because that can lead to gallstones. Right. So it thins the bile and, you know, we would suggest one to two cap capsules at bedtime. And so for those of you who maybe are into organ meats, you know, I don't think that's super common, but some people are eating liver or tripe or tongue that you probably already have sufficient taurine. But if you're not, you very well could be deficient. Did you see the face I just gave you? <laughs> I did That's see that. great if you like organ meats. And I know some people do, my grandma being one of them, but it's just not my thing. So hand me the taurine, please. <laughs> one more supplement that we sometimes recommend to promote good digestion is something called digestive bitters. And this is something, if you heard the start of the show, you heard me talk about my cousin, Patty that has had her gallbladder removed and she finds digestive bitters really helpful. So for many people, drinking just five to 10 drops in of, of these digestive bitters in just a small amount of water and do that about 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes before each meal and then do another five to 10 drops in a little bit of water after your meal. That can really help relieve the indigestion, the heartburn, the bloating that can go along with um, having a meal if you don't have a gallbladder. And I want to say here, in this case, brands do matter. We recommend Moonshine Digestive Bitters. This is a, a supplement that's very well tolerated. A lot of the digest or some of the digestive bitters out on the market have been known to cause diarrhea. And we don't need to add insult to injury. And I should mention too that any of these supplements that we have been talking about, the orthodigestzyme, the spectrozyme, the taurine, the moonshine digestive bitters, you can read more about them or you can purchase them if you want to by going online to our website and that is weightandwellness.com. We don't charge any shipping and handling so it's the same price if you order on our website as if you were to walk in to any one of our office locations and buy a product. So I just wanted to throw that out there too. Gosh, and we are just coming to the wrap-up of our show here. Yes, I, I think we just have to wrap it up by saying that, or reminding everybody that our goal at Nutritional Weight and Wellness is to help each and every person experience better health through eating real food. Yes, it's a simple message, but it's a powerful message. And have a healthy day. 
Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please share your favorite episodes with a friend or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Product statements have not been evaluated by the FDA.